The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's great to have you with us. I appreciate you tuning in. I know you've got other options, so thanks for being here with us. If you've been tuning into Working on Purpose, then you know the show is really all about showcasing guests who are meaningfully and personally connected to their work. And that'll be the case this week as well. So what I'm hoping for that you get from this show is really maybe some education as to what your work can be for you, maybe some inspiration, motivation along the way, and maybe even a little entertainment, a couple of laughs. That's the idea anyway. So for those of you tuned in last week, you got to hear from two 12-year-old middle school girls who shared their career aspirations. So Gabby Cortez, who is my daughter, full disclosure, (laughs) shared her dream to become a chef, a career that has been partly informed from cooking with her beloved nanny, that's what we call her, that's her maternal grandmother. She has been puttering in the kitchen for probably about half of her young life already, and that's where she really feels at home. We also heard from Sedalia Rochelle, one of Gabby's classmates here in Dallas. Sedalia has known for quite some time that she wants to be the first African-American female president of the United States. And she's been working hard to get there already. So she really enjoys speaking in front of groups and has been in various oratorical competitions where she has to write her own speeches, memorize, and then recite them. So they were both delightful to speak with, have on the show, and it was wonderful to see the two girls working to cultivate their talents toward their career aspirations. And so I hope that some of that show for some of you out there really touched a chord, maybe helped you remember some of your own your own early memories about your aspirations. I, I hope it was fun for you to walk down memory lane and, and giggle a bit with the girls as well. So this week, we get to talk with Wade Cottingham of Lakewood Piano Lab here in East Dallas. Um, here we have someone who loves his work and has found a unique way to keep himself engaged and positively connected to his work every day. Pretty amazing feat, I would think. So I don't know what his secret is. I'm looking forward to hearing just how he does that. I can also tell you that he has a wonderful positive impact on his various numerous students who say he just makes learning fun. So before before I ask him to say hello here, I want to say a little bit about how I met him. I always like to tell you how it is that I find my guests. So we met Wade probably a good five years ago when we were out trolling for a, a piano teacher for my daughter, and he came highly recommended. So that was how we actually met him. So my daughter's been taking instruction from him for about five years now. And I think after my first or second show, he sent me an email and he said, Elise, I listened to your show. I love my work. You should interview me. (laughs) And I went, (laughs) I went, what a great idea. So Wade, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Elise. (laughs) Isn't it fun? Yes, I'm very happy to be here. Well, I have lots and lots of questions for you. Um, um, So we've we've established that we think it's been about five years since you've been hanging out with my daughter, Gabby. Yes. 
Um, tell us just a little bit about what you do in your day-to-day work today, and then I'll ask you to get into more of the details. My main work is teaching piano lessons to students, mostly private lessons. So I start about 3 in the afternoon, uh, Monday through Friday, and I finish about 9 o'clock at night. And so most people come and have a 30- or 45-minute lesson. And then uh, on Saturday, I teach all day, and um, that's my piano lesson, piano teaching work. All day. What does that mean? What time do you start? What time do you finish? Oh, Saturday is I start at eight mm, thirty and finish about five five thirty. Wow, that's a full day. That's yeah. a really full day. Okay, so how many how many kids and how many adults do you think you teach right now? Right now, the total count is about fifty two, and about four or five of them are adults. So mostly kids and a handful mm-hmm. of adults. Mm-hmm. I was one of those adults for a while too. That's by right. I remember listeners. that. I tried to hang with it. I still like it, <laughs> like the instruction. However, my my schedule is so full. Uh, one thing I will say that I remember distinctly about that, and maybe you do too, is I do have fingernails. I have I have longer fingernails, uh-huh. not really long fingernails, but so I couldn't do the finger placement that you wanted me to do. And you, oh. were like, you remember that? And and you were like, I don't know what to do with that. I, I don't you know. know. My, my mom uh, <laughs> played one song on the piano, and I used to hear her play My Blue Heaven. And her fingernails, she had long fingernails, and they would clack. So that's part of my memory is hearing that. Wow, that's interesting. Hopefully it was a good memory when you were working with me. Um, well, you know, one of my big things, as you well know by now, if you've heard the, the show a couple of times, is I really do love life stories. And, and I know that mm-hmm. being a piano teacher wasn't your first career. Mm-hmm. So tell us the story of what you did before. How did I know that you were at least a computer programmer before, if not something okay. else. But tell us the story of how you really got into Well, since you teaching. mentioned kids, I'll go back a little earlier. When I was growing up, I didn't have any idea. I probably did want to be Superman or something, but I didn't have much idea. And even in college, my parents never pushed me. They left it up to me what I wanted to major in, what I wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't really know. And so I majored in music and English. And uh, then I was fascinated by how they made uh, food at Burger King. And I called it a systems perspective. Like I was just so interested that it worked, you know, and they could make the sandwiches fast. So I wanted to work in a fast food restaurant right after college. So uh, I did for about a year and a half, and and then I learned about computers. It was a long time ago, right when the first uh, home computers were even you know being invented. So then I got one of those, and then I wanted to study about computer programming. So from there, I just went into computer programming for like, and that lasted for like fourteen years. And then I got really sick of that, and and I I had started teaching piano a little bit, so I just increased that with some good counsel and. Uh, at the right time, uh, I went into piano teaching full time, and that was two thousand and two. But 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 you know that's such an interesting thing. You make it sound so easy, <laughs> right? It, that must have been just such an easy transition. One of the things I remember you saying about that because I did ask you before uh-huh. about what you did before you became a teacher, and I remember you saying something along the lines of you had been a DOS programmer, yeah, and that you didn't want to start um, programming in some of the newer languages or something along those lines. Is, is that right? From well, memory? that's true. Okay. Yes, that's yeah. true. When uh, when uh, when my Programming job was switching into Windows programming. I didn't really get it, so that was part of it. I think plus, it's... plus I just I didn't like uh, I really didn't like working with other people. Um, <laughs> I mean, I in a way it's funny because I I wanted to stop spending all my time just with a box with a computer like by myself, you know, just staring at the screen. But I also did not like so I wanted to work with people more, but not people who were on other teams of the company who were, had their own, you know, agenda, like what you mm-hmm. call office politics. I did not uh, like that at all. So <laughs> <laughs> raise your I, hand out there, folks. If you like working in office politics, <laughs> no hands go up. 
So I really did. I really did enjoy just working one on one with people. I still do. Well, I think that's a great answer. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about what you just said before, and I don't want to belabor this, just but it's just something unique to my interest level, is when you said that you wanted to work in a fast food place because you were interested on the systems level of that. Yeah. And I see that also related to your computer programming. Do you see that same connection or no? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, yeah, definitely. Mm, I think that's really fascinating, definitely. something I didn't know about you. Fascinating. I'm also fascinated by systems as well, but don't know a darn thing about programming. So there you go. Um, Okay, so let me ask you about the, the list here of the things that you find enjoyable about teaching piano. What is it about teaching piano that you like? You told me you love your job, so what is it that you find enjoyable about this? Well, they, um, the people that I work with, they want to learn a skill that I'm real close to, that I've really worked on. You know, So I get to share that. And, of course, like it's music. People, Everyone loves music. And... I, I get to share, well, I get this, what, the end product of what I get to help them with is, is very rewarding because they get a skill that either to some degree they'll use, you know, for enjoyment mm-hmm. and for self-expression and for, you know, sharing uh, some of themselves with, with community. So they get that. And what I get is I teach such a, you know, different individuals have such a different way of learning and different they, different people are going to rank, you know, piano playing on a scale. Like to some of them, it might be as important as it is to me. To some of them, it might be even more important than it is to me. But to a lot of them, it's much less important. <laughs> so um, the, I have to adapt to, you know, their level of um, learning and, uh, you know, how, how important it is to them. And how do you do that? I mean, that's pretty intense. I mean, I can certainly imagine the spectrum of, I'm only here because mom said I have to come, to, oh, my gosh, yes. I want to be the best pianist in the world. Yes. So how do you adapt to that? It's so important to adapt to it. And that's one thing I've learned on the job. Because the times, I don't know if this is a common image, but if you think of a piano student crying because they can't do something, I mean, I used to have that a little bit. And I found out it was always because I was pushing for a result that I wanted uh, you know, I mean, maybe that's what teaching is about, but um, the more I learn to tune into the person, you know, what they're doing, what they need, what they want, how they learn, you know, what's happening right then at the moment, that crying, you know, I don't make students cry anymore. <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that. Well, yeah. My daughter goes with you. Yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate, though, one of the things that my daughter certainly has, we talk with her about and she's talked with me about specifically is when she does get frustrated because she wants to learn something and maybe gets stuck. So how do you deal with that then? When they they do get to that frustration level and you can see it, it's there, it's palpable. How do you address that? Yeah, well, again, in the past, and this is in the past, this is like the last time, the last time I allowed myself to be impatient or complaining about something like that was was easily four or five years ago. So now it's more like, um, well, first of all, to be aware of it. Like if you're not really looking at the student, you're just uh, walking around the room or something, you might not even be aware they're frustrated. So mm-hmm. you want to keep track of, of their level all the time. So if they're getting frustrated, and there's all, all, those, all kind of tells on that from, you know, bo- well, body language, facial expressions, stuff they say, you know, there's all kind of tells. So you've got to make an adjustment. I have to make an adjustment, uh, a course change, to do something else or, you know, or one thing I do, um, which I learned when I was at Children's Center Preschool, I found out about this. You can stand up and do this 
exercise where you uh, cross over your knee to your palm. It's called a cross crawl. So you do 10 of these in a row, and it uh, sort of mm. totally it makes the two sides of the brain communicate better. Well, that's interesting. And it's like magic uh, to refocus somebody when they're a little bit frustrated. You might need to teach me that. Yeah, I'd be, <laughs> I, I'll show you right now. <laughs> you might need to teach me that because I, I, I'm definitely type A kind of thing. I can get myself frustrated. Yes, I can. Um, well, one of the things that we talked about here that I thought was incredibly interesting about your your world, your story, is that you have somehow found a way, um, and you said maybe this happened three or four years ago, where you it was an epiphany almost type moment where you somehow found a way, and it was like a turn or a, a corner in the road that you turned about being able to find that you can enjoy every single lesson 100% of the time with no complaints, regrets, no lamenting. Like it's just like sheer perfect performance. How did you do that and what is that about? That is the, that is the most fun thing I think about my work because I, um, I structured it differently the way that I think about it and I called my studio uh, a lab. I renamed it Liquid Piano Lab and I started thinking of it as a lab. Yeah, Okay. And but why is that different? That's different because let's picture another kind of lab where you have everyone's in a white coat and you're doing experiments, you're doing research. So I think of I'm doing research every moment and I think that I want to guide the student to do research too. Like we want to discover, that's, you know, we want to discover rather than perform or something like that. Mm. I, should, I should maybe give examples. Yes, but. please. Yes, please do. <laughs> So far, I'm on the abstract track, oh, you, I but I want, I want the examples. Give me the real deal. Well, I might say, what if? Like, what if you, you know, I would, that's the language I would use to say, well, what if, you, uh, what if you did, you know, let's try this. For example, I'm going to say, let's try this. So I'm not going to say, like, uh, I might not say that's not the way to do it as much as I maybe used to. Or, okay. But I'm going to say, let's try this. And if, I, if it works well enough, I mean, it, it definitely works for making me happy that, um, that I'm in a fun half hour or a fun 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. The way that I've restructured it, the way I think of it now is it's always fun for me. And hopefully that transmits to the student and they, the student will have a little bit of sense of discovery and possibility, you know, mm. like what could I do rather than what am I messing up on? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I really, really like this. And so the whole idea of discovery versus... Maybe mm-hmm. even instruction. It sounds like you are helping them to, you're facilitating them discovering their connection to the music versus teaching them something. Yeah, well, you know, a good teacher wants to work himself out of a job. And so they, um, if, they, if they feel like they're learning and they have some responsibility for it, then that's good. Okay, so I think maybe I want to, I want to get to the, the heart of this because okay. I think for our listeners here, this could be extremely useful. And what I've learned in my research is that our mentality about our work, yes. we have control over that, of course, and it can be in, incredibly powerful, a powerful way that we can change how we connect to our work, usually in a more positive way. So I want to make sure that we can really explicate what it is that you've done here because I think it could be very useful to let, a lot of us. Let me say the name of my business before and after because okay. that was sort of what I – what I hung it on, sort of. Like, my name before was Piano Lessons by Wade Cottingham. So, you know, come for a piano lesson, and Wade Cottingham will hopefully, you know, very, very well teach you, <laughs> teach you very well. <laughs> it all goes It's well. like the, the by Wade Cottingham part, that was like an artistic thing. Like, uh-huh. these aren't just piano lessons. These are piano lessons by Wade Cottingham. Right. So that kind of puts the focus on Wade Cottingham and piano lessons. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking up a name, uh, 
I, I thought I finally arrived at Lakewood Piano Lab. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, I've wondered if it should be Lakewood Music Lab so I could branch out into other instruments. But so the lab part of it made me think of I'm, I'm not so much uh, the instructor and they're, they're not so much the student, but we're kind of researching together toward, a, toward an end, the end of, of the skill of, of learning the skill of playing the piano and of enjoying music. Okay, I totally see the difference now. I do totally understand how it totally frames your, what you're doing throughout that day differently. Yes. And, and that is what I think is so beautiful about what you've done, Wade, because it is a way to restructure your work, change the way that you're connected to it. And I, I think that's gorgeous. Can I give another example? Yeah, we've got about maybe one minute before we break, so go ahead. Okay, I remember about eight or ten years ago, I would go out to people's houses, and I remember one time before winter break, I was writing these little mean notes in my little notebook. I wouldn't even tell the student, like, you're so unprepared. How can you be so unprepared? But I was thinking that, and I was writing these little notes to myself. Absolutely no rhythm, you know. Like, <laughs> My goodness. I was so frustrated, and I calmed down over the winter break. But uh, that just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> wow, I mean that—that that is wonderful. I, I and I hope that maybe you'll dig for a couple more examples that we'll get to after the break. But it is time for our first break. We've been on the air with Wade Cottingham of Lakewood Piano Lab here in East Dallas. He's been sharing his earlier career in both career programming as well as fast food, which I thought was fantastic. Early days as a piano instructor. You can learn a little bit more about him if you want to by visiting his website, which is www. LakewoodPianoLab.com. After the break, we'll hear more. Stay tuned. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt in to our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. We're here with Wade Cottingham. Let's pick up where we left off. You were telling some examples of before you were able to change your mindset about your work and after. And I am very fascinated by an example you gave just before the break about how you would get frustrated with yourself, with your students, before you were able to make this change. And this is, it's enormous, Wade, what you It done. is. It's, it's it remarkable. Is. You, um, not just me, but any teacher, because I'm, I'm in communication with other piano teachers, mostly on a specific fake Facebook fake book, uh, <laughs> Facebook page that has a very active participation by piano teachers all over the world. It's, I've found that in the last month, and it's incredible. So anyway, there's all range of teachers on there, and some of them express this complaining about how the student acts or complaining about the parents and all kinds of things that I've been definitely been through. Um, and sometimes I share, you know, my new perspective and, but, um, you put me back on track. Where, where, where. Well, what I want to, what I, what, <laughs> I'll do that for you. You bet. Okay. Um, I, I want to also get to, I was, I was looking for examples of the before and after, but it strikes me that we should hear about maybe how this epiphany came to be. I mean, how did this thing happen? Did it just sort of sneak up on you? You were on the way to the bathroom one day and ping, all of a sudden it was there. How'd you get this epiphany? I don't know. It had to do with naming it. Uh, I wanted, I don't remember now why I wanted to register a business name, but, but once I did want to do that, I thought over different names and the naming it made me think of how I framed it in my mind. Mm-hmm. So powerful. There's so much in a name. And the thing that the thing that I've learned by doing my research, which is around meaning in work and identity, is that the thing about identity is identity drives our behavior, our decisions, our frame, our lens, so many things. Oh yeah, that's what I was gonna say talking about the other teachers is um, for someone to go from letting themselves complain about students, mm-hmm. you know, you you're there in the lesson you're either sort of, you wake up with a mindset that these students are probably going to frustrate me today, or you have a different mindset that, wow, what am I going to learn from this student? And what is, you know, mm-hmm. what are we going to discover together? You well, know? And I think that's amazing. And so one of the things that I really appreciate that, especially for this particular show, Working on Purpose, is that you're being mindful about your work and how you're allowing yourself to connect to it. And I think that allowing, when you think about it, you're doing the same work. Nothing really changed. The only thing that changed was your mentality. Uh-huh. And yet the difference that it made in terms of your your fulfillment, your mm-hmm. connection to your student, and probably, I would imagine, the overall impact you're having on your student. Mm-hmm. Yes? I think so. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, one of the things that my daughter says when I ask her, you know, what do you like about working with Wade? She says, he makes learning fun. Mm, she laughs a lot. Does she? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> good. It. Good. We like that. <laughs> we like that. Now, how long have you been teaching? I started with a few uh, a few lessons in the late 80s. Okay. And those were like you were talking about $5 an hour for your first teacher. Those were like $5 an hour lessons just people I knew. And I, I didn't really want to grow that or I didn't know what I was doing. So 10 years later, I thought, you know, I want to teach piano more. Mm-hmm. That's when I was getting sick of the office politics. Mm-hmm. It's probably like, well, what could I do? You know, uh, music performing is not really my thing. I've done some of it. Mm-hmm. But, and um, so anyway, I, I took on a few. Um, in the late 90s, I worked with a, a guy that was kind of a teacher-student broker. I worked with a couple of those. They would find me students, and they would take a cut. And and then a teacher that uh, had to leave town or something, she gave me 12 students all at once. And these were the type of students where I would drive to Irving, Capel, you know, all over. Wow. Around yeah. here and over around there. And So it built. It built up from there. Well, that's one of the questions I also wanted to ask you is whenever we do – 
go from one career to the next, there's always that ramp up period. And it takes time. It usually takes an awful lot of energy and effort. And so I did want to hear about what it was like in those early days. Can I say what helped me go to full time? Yeah. What helped me go to full time was I had, I used to have lunch with my dad every, uh, every Friday or so. And he was a businessman, just that's what he was. And so he would tell me, why don't you write down the amount of money you need every month? And then when you're making that amount, then you should go full time. You know, it's pretty common sense. But mm-hmm. he was very, very supportive, but very common sense. And then my wife had a helpful um, viewpoint. She encouraged me to do it. And I found out later that she uh, wanted, she didn't want me to be mad at her if I regretted not doing it. But I thought at the time she was just like fully supportive. Like, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> And our pastor also was very encouraging. So I had some good counsel to uh, push me over to like, oh, I can do this full time. But how did you get there? And what did it take? You had to find new students. How did you find your students? Well, I got those 12 all at once. And uh, I think in, in, that, in my business, it's mostly word of mouth. I mean, I've tried different other things throughout the years, but uh, it's mostly word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I've given your name to, to several people. I, don't, I know that at least one of them is one of your students now. We won't say the names just in case they don't want to be named, but I know there's at least one of them out there that is, is with you because I cool. you need to call Wade. Uh, but I mean, I can tell you as, my, as a business owner myself, it, it, that ramp up period is hard. And mm-hmm. I, it is true still for me today too, that most of my business is word of mouth. However, I still do have to kind of go out there and yes. knock on doors and yeah. say, hey, I'm here. I'm, ha- I'm happy to help. But I, I also know that tender period of getting started can be a couple of years, a few years, or whatever, that you're still in that trial run period. Well, specifically, I, I went full-time in summer of 2002, and summer was a really stupid time to yeah, I open suppose up your so. plan. <laughs> summer is when everybody's gone. Right. But I had roughly 25 students then, and it built up to, at the most, I had 70 a week when I was going out, uh, and when I was doing Sundays also. Mm-hmm. So I'm down to a more comfortable 50 per week. So, you know, here's what I also know about that is that, so it's one thing to do 70 lessons a week or 50 lessons a week, but then you have to coordinate all the communication and make mm-hmm. sure people show up and such. And so how do you handle that? That's administrative stuff. You do that too, don't you? Yes, I do all that. I do all the billing and everything. And I, I don't know, I've just worked out systems over the years. Well, you're a systems guy. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it probably comes easy for you. <laughs> that's <us>. true. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, these are the fun things that I love to do is put these things together when I'm talking to people. Uh, now, one of the things that you do that I don't know that I have seen too many other piano teachers um, do or kind of not really require but encourage the way that you do is that you do have your students do a recital every year, and you encourage them to, to be in it. You prepare for it. Why do you do that? Why, why is that an important part of your, your instruction? That is a tradition. Above all else, it's a, it's a tradition that I grew up with. And I think a lot more teachers do it than what you're saying. I think a mm. lot of, it's very common, like mm. over the world, you know, it's very common. And what it gives the student is uh, something to work for, an event where they share. Mm-hmm. And um, they have fun, you know, we have, we have uh, refreshments, uh, a reception after the event. And so it gives us something to do. It gives us something to work toward. Mm-hmm. And it... It, it lets the student show off, you know. Yeah. I would think that in some ways that it holds the student a bit more accountable for their for their learning. Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. If they have to play so-and-so piece at so-and-so time. One time I played uh, Maple Leaf Rag. Uh, I think it was a simplified arrangement of it. I guess I was about 10 or 11. And after the recital, this was at a recital, and I played it pretty well, I guess, and uh, a lady, a strange lady that I did not know, gave me $5. She goes, that was so good. I just want you to know. Aww. And, uh, that, 
I appreciated that. Yeah, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I mean, I would too. Uh, well, um, along those lines, I know one of the things that, that, you, that you do that's part of your, um, your instruction, and when I was your student for that brief amount of time, we did it too, but you're, you incorporate improvisation into your teaching. Mm-hmm. Why and how and what's that for? I think that I've noticed a, a tradition. I'm sure this is changing fast now with, um, with apps and with Internet and with YouTube and with new ways of learning. I'm, I, bet the, <laughs> I keep looking over there. This is changing fast. But there was a tradition for a long time of an overemphasis on reading music. And I guess it started in the early 1900s. Yep. Mm-hmm. And just in lesson after lesson, you just the stereotype is that the student's eyes are glued on this page. And um, the best music is not made from having your eyes glued on a piece of paper. Mm. So, you know, the best musicians are like the Beatles. They're not reading sheet music. They, uh, Frank Sinatra did not read sheet music, you know. The composers don't read their compositions. The, the most creative, important music is not coming from... You know, the, real, the creative source of it, mm-hmm. where it really comes from somewhere yeah. inside, that does not come from reading it. So so I have a background in jazz, and so I'm familiar with improvisation and the glories of it. And the, So I try to share that. I try to actually teach that where a person feels comfortable just not having to depend on the page, mm-hmm. where they depend on themselves or, or some tools they've learned. Well, what I like about that, and it totally goes with your lab idea, it mm-hmm. feels like a lab when you're in there. And again, mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I've been in, in your lab mm-hmm. or on the other end of your lab. But when you're in there, it's just what you were saying. I mean, you've got a couple other other instruments going on there. Yes. And it feels playful. And it yes. does feel like you're creating something. Yes. And and I see why that would help also give you the idea that you're not working, you're playing. Yes. And I, I normally, if there's families, like if the parents are there and siblings are there, uh, I normally will structure the last five minutes or so, and you, we usually call it a jam session or jam time. I say, do you want to jam? And let's invite everybody to jam. And so if the parent's a non-musician or whatever, they're going to do a shaker. Mm-hmm. And you and you can see the kids and the parents sort of light up during that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really fun. And so yeah. they, they leave with a really fun feeling of what they've been through. And do you always finish the lesson that way? Is that always the Normally. Finish? Now, a lot of times it's a private lesson. And, and if it's a private lesson, we're not going to always jam. But that's a group thing that I can always do that it, it just is very fun mm-hmm. now, <laughs> for along, everyone. Along those lines, too, now, are you still doing the, the uh, scrambled egg camps or any kind um, of camps? Um, most summers. Okay. I haven't, I haven't set it up for this summer, but most summers I do a, a camp scrambled eggs um, week day camp with a concert at the end. Now, why do you call them scrambled eggs? Camp Scramble. Well, that was a, there was a very successful national summer camp program for music, for rock music, called Camp Jam. So I was thinking over Camp Jam, I'm going to need to send some students to Camp Jam. This was about 2006. And I thought, why don't I just make my own camp? What can I call it? You know, so I thought that's where it came to me, Scrambled Eggs. Well, jam, scrambled eggs, <laughs> yes. all breakfast stuff makes sense. <laughs> right. What's for breakfast? Got it. Okay, well, one of the things that I thought was interesting about that, and I want to know if it was intentional on your part, is uh, those camps were very much about jamming. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. you were doing. You were, for that week long, you were creating, the group was creating music. Yeah. Is that the whole idea? It's just that's to make the, it creative? That's the structure mm-hmm. that the group would, would together design a concert for the last day of the week. And mostly improvised pieces, but maybe not entirely, but mostly pieces that we would make up. And we'd structure them somewhat during the week, so we'd rehearse our concert. But, you know, they were pieces, they were more of a framework for a piece than an actual piece. Mm-hmm. One time, I remember one summer, it was, it was a war. The, you know, these 
these boys wanted to do a piece that was war. So it was very, I had to tell the audience. <laughs> Brace you yourself. Might, you might want to close your ears a little bit toward the end of this war piece. <laughs> wow. But they did it. That's cool. For them, it was very fun. Yeah, okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, well, that's the thing, right? You want to be able to have them connect to it. That's the important thing. And um, I know that Gabby did one of those mm-hmm. camps once or twice. I can't remember. But mm-hmm. let me ask you this. So along the lines of managing students, because I'm a professor too, I teach various psychology courses and such, and I am very aware of that whole group setting. Sometimes you got to really pull a student out and get them to talk and interact. And other times you really kind of say, that is great, you know, could you kind of let somebody else share as well? Yeah. You know, you've got to kind of yeah. monitor the interactions and such. So how do you do that in your in your camp settings when you've got various voices and introverts, extroverts together? That is sounds, managing a group, whether it's uh, four or seven, seven is about the most I'd have in a week summer camp. Or if it's like 30 in a preschool, 20 or 30 in a preschool camp, that is something I did not know I could do. In fact, when I first did my first summer camp, I was so insecure about managing like six kids that I hired a co-teacher, mm-hmm. another teacher wow. in this area. And she was great. She knew to ask questions. That's where I learned to ask questions. Everything she would say to a, to a student was always a question. <laughs> I learned that from her. But I've, I've picked that up by doing it and by wanting to learn how to do it. So I don't know how I do it, but just um, you just have to manage it. I mean, it's in the, you just are the manager of the group. It's your responsibility. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was true. You have to buck up, no doubt about it. Well, well, along those lines, you know, it seems to me that most people, especially since they're working like you, working entirely on their own, mm-hmm. probably have a networking situation, something to, to fall back on a support system. Do you have something like that? I don't think I have enough. Um, <laughs> you need more. I've I've gotten so much good insights from other teachers' books, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe YouTube's of seeing other teachers teach. Like I don't have a pedagogy degree. I have a music degree, but not not uh, formal training in teaching. So uh, a lot of my learning has been on the job. So, and I've got a lot of good advice from these teachers on this Facebook uh, forum. But um, I'm not in the Dallas Music Teachers Association, although I've just submitted my application, and I don't know if I'll. Yay! Uh, uh, but so I don't know. I haven't networked near enough. I don't think. Okay. Well, so <laughs> what do you do when you feel like you've got a student? Maybe you just can't quite figure out. How do you handle that? I've gone online to uh, other teachers in other cities who, you know, I just pose an open question. So I've done that several times, and it got really good mm, help. That's great. So what I think is great about that, Wade, for advice for those listeners out there that are maybe do work on their own like you do, or unlike I do for that matter, is that you really aren't alone, that you have the ability to find online networks that will allow you to be able to pose those kind of questions. And I think that's a great lesson for a lot of people out there. Yeah, uh, this one what was the question? I asked a question, and within an hour, there were 52 responses from teachers all over the world from different you know, angles, different kinds of answers. But mm-hmm. you put all those together, it's, it's almost more than you could get if you just had like one, uh, one confidant mm-hmm. who helped you with stuff. Well, and here's what I also love about that for our listeners, since the show really is about trying to help our listeners more meaningfully meaningful connect to their work. Sometimes when you are out there by yourself, it can be hard to have that connection. And so what I've learned is that some people do find a way to be able to bridge that loneliness connection, solitary connection by having that network that they tap into online, just like what you did, which is gorgeous. And that is a great thing for us to remember that, especially if we are working our own, and more of us are, that that's out there. That's great. Yeah. 
Um, well, you, you've mentioned something to me before about, about students that get frustrated, and I do want to get to that here. Um, maybe we'll do it after the break since we're coming right up on it, but let's queue it up before the break, and then we'll, we'll take okay. it afterwards. But think about this while we're on the break. But I know that some students will get frustrated with themselves, and they'll say things like, I'm so stupid. How could I have missed that? So <laughs> we're going to cover that after the break. Okay. But it's about time for us to take one more break here. So Good. we've been on the air with Wade Cottingham of, of, Lake, of Lakewood Piano Lab, who has been sharing his perspective about not just teaching piano, but helping his students discover music. I love that distinction and his ability to connect with each student. So a quick break here. Stay with us, and we'll, we'll convene about student frustrations after the break. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. We've been here with Wade Cottingham of Lakewood Piano Lab, and I had queued him up just before the break to help us Maybe give us some examples of how he works with students when they're frustrated, and he might hear them say something like, gosh, I'm so stupid. How could I have missed that? How do you handle that, Wade? Well, let me compare back to, um, uh, when was this? Two th- let's say 2003, 2004. I was driving to uh, Capel or Irving, and so I had a student there, and the teacher who had uh, passed the student to me, she had to move, and so I got the student. And so she said, he cries sometimes. Hmm. And uh, so that tells you right there, she was used to him crying sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I was always wanting him to not cry, and he did. He had a tendency to cry almost, you know, for his own reasons. Mm-hmm. So I did not want him to cry, and I would tell him, let's, let's not have you cry. You know, let's do something different. So that's the main thing. If, I'm, if I, I don't accept it, they should be frustrated. Now I'll tell another example. This is an area I can get into some more specific examples. This is good. I have one student. Let's call him A.L., he uh, started when he was six, maybe five, and now he's a junior. So I've been teaching him this whole time. And many years of his younger years, when he would get frustrated, he would hit his head. And this is not something I want to see, you know, and I could yeah. hardly, and I didn't have a, a good way to break him of it. But over time, we would just talk about it. And finally, he, he got, he matured. And uh, plus, I coached him to laugh instead of hit his head. Nice. <laughs> when he would make a mistake. Nice change. Can I t- t- say a little bit more yeah, about that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I actually was too serious there at first. I, I would think, we got to learn this, you know, and let's let's go. And like I said before, that's that's how you can make a student cry if that's your goal. You can just force for the result. You know, let's stay on this. You can do it. So there were a, a couple of students who I noticed they would laugh whenever they made a mistake. And I was like, come on, let's get back to serious, you know. Hmm. <laughs> but after a while, I realized that, Maybe this is partly from research a little bit too, but I realize that when you take a break from something you're trying to do, if you talk about something else, it gives you a chance to subconsciously process it mm-hmm. and you learn it better. And so this laughing and talking about uh, another subject is very helpful. So I will be sharing that all the time now with everyone. I mean, I have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I certainly know. I mean, I hold myself to a very high standard and so does my daughter for that matter. And uh-huh. so it can be a little intense um, to work with, I would imagine, people like us. Uh, so <laughs> he's laughing nervously, like, yes, it is. Uh, but how, how do you then? I mean, if you've got somebody who's kind of tense, intense, like I am, type A or whatever, and they, they're just, they really do want to learn it, it's important to them. Now, this, this makes me want to talk about an adult student um, that I have, I've had for about five months. And... Um, she was like that, and she was like a, she told me I'm a perfectionist, and she was a little bit nervous. So I got her relaxed in her lessons, and we I helped her so much that she would just focus on the music rather than being nervous. Mm. But she quit just last week, and uh, I thought to myself after she quit, maybe I should have steered her a little bit more to the fact that music can be a fun thing for a grown up, like an, uh, a vacation from your work. Because mm-hmm. I have a couple of adult students that I know that's what it is, even. If they don't practice during the week, they come and have a great time yeah. playing music. Um, so either they already know uh, they already know that they can have fun, or, or I have to help them know that they can have okay <laughs> have fun. Okay. Well, I think I can see that. I mean, I, I can totally imagine that it would be hard. It goes back to what you were saying before about finding some way to really be in sync finding with finding a way, right, and help them have as positive a lesson as they can. And sometimes that does mean managing through their emotions. Now, sometimes I'll just ask them what would be, I say, we have uh, 10 more minutes in our time. What would be the most fun thing? You know, Mm -hmm. would it be to do music ace deluxe? Would it be to jam? Would it be to do some sight reading? Um, Jumping jacks, maybe? And kids love free time. Sometimes they'll have a few minutes of free time, you know. Okay. There's the burden of doing anything is off them, and they just get to. Right. Our overscheduled society likes just a break. Thank you very yes. much. Okay. Well, speaking of that, one of the things that I am very curious about for you and your is your schedule weight. So you said <laughs> you, you mentioned that already. Well, you said you start teaching at what is you say three o'clock, and you go to eight most weekdays, and mm-hmm. then you, on Saturday it's really pretty much all day long. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what I find interesting about that is um, that is. 
it's a schedule, but it, it, you are for half of that time period, you're 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 off many other people's schedules that are like working. mornings. Yeah, the morning stuff. So yes. How does that schedule work or fit with the rest of your life? What do you do with that time? Well, for mornings, uh, when I was working at the preschool, the mornings were very busy and um, a little too busy. And now that now my mornings, most of the time, I'm doing some. Uh, music production, like where I record music into the computer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I have a student that's like an ace at that, a former student. He's an ace at that. And we did a workshop last summer where we co- co-taught a few people how to use uh, Logic Pro. That's the, the platform. Oh, yeah. And how to record music into that. So I've, I really got into that a lot, and I record a lot of music, and hmm. that's my creative outlet. Well, what do you do with that music? Well, I post videos. I put little pictures with them, and I make little two-minute movies, and I post them on YouTube, and then 20 people watch them, and that's that. <laughs> well, I, I, and now, I, don't you also, though, perform and do other things as well in the neighborhood or across the city? I, I've had years where I performed about uh, three or four weekends a month. Um, I performed at the Balcony Club here back some years back with a band. And I have a performance coming up where I play for a little church, and they insisted that I do a one-hour concert. In fact, they said it might be two hours. So this is not something I'm used to doing. So I'm really thinking about that now is how to get a performance together. Hmm. Hmm. Um, well, I've been, I, I did wonder how you spent that time. I mean, obviously, it's your personal time. You've got to pay bills, everything else. But mm-hmm. I didn't realize that you were also doing stuff just for you, which I think is great. I mean, that's your own self-nurturing, your own self-care. and It's for lessons, too. I mean, I, I share music production uh, with students, and they they enjoy doing it. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. Gabby's done some pieces. Yeah, well, you've probably heard them. I have. I have actually <laughs> heard them. I play them when you send them. I do. I do. Um, well, maybe along those lines, maybe maybe not quite, but it's a question that I always want to make sure that I work in when I can because it is related to the research that I've been doing. Is since I we've been talking about your your connection to your work, which is the meaning piece. I'm also curious about the identity piece. So what I want to know is where's Wade in his work? So if I were to ask you the question, how uh-huh. important is your work to who you are as a human being? Is it really important to who you are? Not very important, kind of medium? I thought about that because I know that you had that question, and I thought about it. And I think I'm a really good fit for what I do. And maybe some people are better at it, more successful, but I think I'm a really good fit because I find it very fulfilling. But if I didn't have that work, like you asked me, what would I do if I didn't do that? And like if I didn't do anything, like I'm close to uh, one level of retirement age, but I don't, I'm not planning on retiring. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, I think like philosophically, I don't like in my heart, I don't think that my that I am what I do. So I think my life is something else other than what I do. What is your life? Then? <laughs> like I was going to give me that kind of a I great was, lead. You know, I got to go. Yeah, with I was it. thinking about this because um, I recently started using this little devotional book to have a devotional every morning. And it's one my mom actually gave me. So I, we were talking about it, and I was telling her, I think the devotion is the point of the devotion. Like, just being doing a devotion is the point of it, not that not how it can help you get ready for your day or your job or something. So just, I don't know, just a, a life, a spiritual life mm-hmm. is, is the main answer I came up with. Okay, well, I think that's gorgeous. And here's the other thing that I think is great about what you've been talking about here, again, related to my research, is that one of the things that I found when I was talking with people about their work and I was trying to discover their connection to it, what did it mean, is that idea of fit. Now, that's not true of everybody. What you're mm-hmm. describing is what I call resonance. And so mm-hmm. the person and the, and the work fit together like a puzzle piece. They fit. Mm-hmm. It's a natural, even fit. 
Now, there are other people out there that the kind of work that they do is really an expression of who they are. I mean, uh-huh. it's a solid expression. You can, the energy is, you know, pretty intense. Um, there are other people where the work informs who they are, right? And there are other people that have this interaction where it's kind of, um, it's an interactive, ongoing, like learning journey between the person and the, and the work. And I call that, it's a self-actualizing kind of a relationship. And there's also people out there, unfortunately, who have a conflicted relationship with their, with their work and their identities. And that's hopefully something that happens for a short period of time and is temporary. But a lot of us go through that at some point. What you're describing is this idea of resonance. And I think what's great about that is from a vocational psychology vantage point is that what they'll tell you is that the ideal is that we find work that does fit with our natural aptitudes, our skills, our interests, and then we can express our values on top of that. So you have a value of fun, right? That's part uh-huh. of your MO, right? Mm-hmm. So what you, what's cool about what you've done, Wade, is you found work mm-hmm. that fits with who you are naturally, yeah. Yeah. and you can express who you are through it as well with your students and have a playful, fun lab where they get to discover their music, their connection to it. And that's how you make a living. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gorgeous. And then at the same time, what you recognize is what you're really all about is your spiritual connection. And I know how important that is to you. Mm-hmm. So your work facilitates you being able to have that overall life where you get to do work that's fulfilling to you. You make a difference to your kids that you, and, your, and your adult students. And, and you have this full life that includes your spiritual peace, which sounds good to me. I think people that are listening to your show, because all the guests seem to have this change of career. I think uh, they should be inspired by that, that, that if they are thinking of a change, they could go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> or and, try it some way. Well, and so interestingly enough, the, the, uh, one of the other guests that we had was uh, Derek Smith, who's been at his, his same, he's been at the YMCA for 24 years. So he's navigated a long-standing career within an organization, so hasn't made a change. And so certainly what I try to do is bring on a mixture of people that some people who, ha- who have made a change and realize they needed a change and others who are like, like, I love what you said. What you did is to be able to change your mindset. Nothing else has changed. Mm-hmm. You're still doing the same kind of thing. Really, the only thing that started the change was the name of your business change, which then drove everything else. And so what I think is great about that, in fact, I'll tell a short little story about that, is that... Um, one of the people that I've known who was having a miserable time in their work. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really, really as miserable as it could be for him. Uh, literally just kind of went to the process of trying to understand why it was so miserable, what was going on for him, got a little outside help with some counselors and such. And when I circled back with him a few months later to kind of check in to see how he was doing, he said, great news. You know, I'm in such a better place. I'm not doing fantastic. I mean, I don't feel elated about my work. But I feel so much better about it. Yeah. And, and I'm working for the same organization, the same boss. Uh-huh. I'm doing the same work. But he the, thought about it differently. The only difference is my perspective about yeah. it. I now oh, no longer. Huge. It's huge. I now Let's, no longer expect it to be this one thing or you know, everything to me. And I accept it for, hey, I'm good at this. I'm making a good living. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm good at the work that I do. I'm good with the people that I work with. And, you know, let's just, that's good for now. That's a good place to be. And that goes back again to the purpose of my show. I call it working on purpose. And what I mean by that, too, is to be mindful about it. In his case, he's much more mindful about the work that he does. And he has now included some gratitude about having the kind of work that he does. Gives him a, a good life, a good lifestyle, takes care of his family. And by simply re orienting his perspective yeah. right he yeah. has come around and he's much happier one of my friends used to say that he used to call it when you wake up you reboot you know re, you reboot <laughs> your expectations for the day was he a computer programmer too no he okay. was an oil uh speculator <laughs> but uh I, that really stuck with me well if you reboot it's maybe it's like software you could change it <laughs> 
Well, along those lines, one of the things I like to ask people if I get the chance is, do you have any words to live by in your work? Anything that you try to live by in your work? I do for teaching. This I read this in a book by a master teacher, and this has really stuck with me. She said, first we, first, we teach the student, second, the music, and third, the piano. So the instrument is an instrument of something. It's an instrument of playing music, so we teach music. Hmm. You know, the last thing we teach is the piano, the specifics, which we definitely teach that, but... More than that, we teach the music. But more than that, we teach the student. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do care how they, how they end up, you know. I want them to have a good experience and to learn something about learning, to learn something about, well, yeah, learning and, as well as music. Mm-hmm. But everyone's different, so mm-hmm. it's an individual. I'd love to hear a couple stories, if, if, if we can, here, um, about any, any of the teachers that maybe, without throwing anybody under the bus, I'm not looking, I'm not trying to do that, but just to compare and contrast some of the, if, if your students have talked about, wow, it's great working with you, Wade, because I had this other teacher before and that was okay. So as an example for me, I think I might have told you that I started t- taking piano lessons when I was 24 years old. So it wasn't one of those things when I was a kid. I did it as an adult for really some personal development reasons. And mm-hmm. I found a great teacher when I was living in Portland, Oregon, she was 92 years old. Mm-hmm. I would come to her house once a week, I think on Saturday in the morning, and she charged $5 an hour. Mm-hmm. How did you pay her? Uh, that's a good question. I think <laughs> did I, your parents I, take I, care I, of that? No, no, no. I think I just probably brought, uh-huh. I think I probably just brought $5. No, I was on my own. My parents take care of that. Are you uh-huh. kidding me? Ask my parents that <laughs> Oh, question. you're 24. Okay. I was 24. But what, what was great about that is that I remember distinctly I'd be playing along and she would say, you missed the C. <laughs> Go back. You missed the C. And I'm like, I didn't miss the C. I know where the C is. But uh-huh. she couldn't hear it for whatever Uh-oh. reason. So we don't have a whole lot of time here. If you could just maybe, is there one, one example or one story that you want to tell along those lines? The only one that comes to mind is how much of an impact my jazz teacher made when I was 15. You know, I was 15, and so that's an age when you're, I guess, you're very impressionable. I was. And so his, everything about him made a huge impression on me. And um, I don't know, just a quick story. The one time I wasn't prepared um, at all. He said, I'm going to have to call your dad. And so he, he, he told me what he was going to say to my dad. He said, I'm going to tell your dad uh, he needs to be better prepared. And then he said, uh, so your dad will think, oh, Mr. Murphy really cares about Wade. And he was so like cynical about it, but, but he was just a great, I don't know if that's a good story or not, but he was such a big influence on me. Well, what I, what I like about that story is right. The one that you, the fact that you remember it from age 15, I think is amazing. But um, I, that I, I think that any story that we remember about our teachers is, uh-huh. is worth telling. And uh-huh. if you remember that for 15, that works for me. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, we're almost to the end of our show already after all this. I can't believe there were a few more questions I wanted to get to with you, but that's, that's okay. I, you. I got the bulk of it. But uh, thank you for being on the show. Oh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you. One of the things, again, that I want to say about your experience that I appreciate is just your ability to to develop develop yourself and evolve in your career as as, a, as an instructor, as a teacher. And, and to be able to settle into it in a way that you, it's become playful for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is wonderful. So that's, that's that most of us can probably aspire for that and, and be happier if we actually let's do. achieve it. Yes, let's do. So next week, we get a, a totally different perspective on work. We're going to hear from Mark Mitford. Mark has been an HR guru for about 20 years, developing himself as such, I should say. And he has a perspective about really how people do get jobs within an organization. What's that like? A lot of us are like, gosh, it seems like it's the other end of a chasm. You know, how do I actually get a job at some organization I'm trying to get into? And so he has that perspective to share. He also has a perspective on really how could organizations better 
be better at being able to attract their talent, being able, being better at being able to cultivate that talent. And then, of course, his own story of, of, of navigating his own career is always interesting to me. So that's who we'll hear for, from next week. And remember, as I always like to say, that work is a full third of our lives. So let's work on purpose. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.